We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, the Tuesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as the announcer just said, this is the word to stand on for life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything else that's on your heart. Your only need is to call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Nothing going on on Tuesday, so let me get right to the questions. Uh, The first one is from Jacob from our email inbox. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. Can you please tell me what grace is? I've heard it's God's unmerited favor, and I really don't understand what that means. I also heard it is something we get that we don't deserve. But what is the thing that we get? Is it forgiveness? Thank you for your help. Jacob, this is one of the most important questions. I'm going to um, uh, recommend a book to you. You can still get it, I think, at, on Amazon. It's a paperback, so it's not very expensive at all. Uh, it's called Why Grace Changes Everything. It's by my former pastor before he went to be with Jesus, Pastor Chuck Smith. Why Grace Changes Everything. And Jacob, I don't know where you are, but we got a bunch of copies, so if you can't find it, uh, just email questions uh, at calvarysa.com like you did for this question and let us know how we can get one to you and we'll provide it uh, free of charge. Why grace changes everything. Uh, Your definition is right. Grace is unmerited favor. Uh, My producer just looked up. It's $12 at Amazon. Uh, I'm cheaper if you want to get it from us. So just let us know. Uh, Grace is unmerited favor. What that means is God's favor poured out to us. Now, if, if you go into the book of Romans in particular, 
uh, the first six chapters, you're going to find out why we need grace. We're all sinners. We fall short of the glory of God continually. Not only that, but Paul says, while uh, we were yet sinners. I love the King James word. It talks about enmity between us and God. We made God our enemy by our sin. And God chose to grant us favor anyway. So that's what grace is. Uh, I I did everything I could. My wife, Paula, prayed for me for 13 years. Uh, She was constantly bringing me before the the throne of God. Uh, I was doing everything that I possibly could to destroy my life. And yet God set his love on me, Jacob. And no matter how badly I behaved, I couldn't change his mind about loving me. And believe me, I tried. But, But he set his love upon me. Why? Because... He poured out his favor. He knew that I would be his, uh, and he bore with me through all of my rebellion against him. Um, uh, because more than anything, he anticipated that very moment in February of 1991 where I was going to be his. So God's unmerited favor means we don't deserve it. We can't do anything to deserve it. And yet God pours it out anyway. Imagine, Jacob, that you were overdrawn in your bank account and the bank is calling and they're sending you all these emails. and You got to get some money in your account or we're going to start charging you things. Imagine if some total stranger walks up and says, you know what? I've loved you for a long, long time. I want you to know how much I love you. Here's a cashier's check for a million dollars. You didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. But you got it anyway, and then you get the benefit of that grace. So that's what it means. Um, That we don't deserve it is one of the problems, Jacob, that we have in the world that we live in because we're 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 from the time that we're young especially if you're younger than I am uh, you were raised to to expect that you deserved everything good you could be anything you want and you, you know you deserve the best in this world uh, we don't the reality Jacob is and I'm going to make this personal so nobody thinks I'm talking bad about you or anybody else I deserve to go to hell My sins were such, my rebellion against God was such, and the pain that I caused Paula, my boys, and and other people around me was such that um, I deserved to go to hell. And yet God's love was poured out to me. His patience demonstrated on my behalf, and all because of grace, his favor that I didn't deserve. Now, the question, I think the most important question you asked is, what do we get because of grace? Um, Forgiveness, certainly. We get forgiveness of all of our sins. We don't deserve that. But we get so much more than that, Jacob. Um, Forgiveness of sins, of course, is top of the list. It's the most important. But there's so much more. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. It means we can walk in the presence of the Lord. I get to get up every day and check in with Jesus. I get to say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And I know that he's listening to me, Jacob. I get all of that. All we have to do is be honest enough to confess that we don't deserve anything. Jacob, for me, uh, if, if, if God would announce somehow to me 
that he was never going to answer another prayer of mine. I'd be fine with that because I've already got so much that I don't deserve. And what we got to do is realize that I deserve nothing. God wants to give me everything. And that's a wonderful trade. Second Corinthians 5.21. Here's something else you get. It says, he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So grace, Jacob, allows us to stand in the presence of the Lord. Paul writes that God lives in unapproachable light, yet grace allows us to approach him. Grace ensures that my prayers can be heard. Grace ensures that that whenever temptation and sin comes at me, I can say no. Uh, Read Romans chapter 8, Jacob, if you would do that. Uh, God has so many wonderful promises. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's just the first verse. So grace allows us to understand that we're not condemned. I know I'm going to heaven. So if condemnation is being heaped on me, Jacob, I know that's coming from the enemy of my soul. Um, I get the assurance of knowing that if God is with me, who can be against me? I get the assurance of knowing that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Which means grace allows me to know, no matter what I see in terms of circumstances, grace allows me to know that God is in the, behind the scenes working all those things together for my good. I also know that grace means that nothing can separate me from the love of God. So those are all the things we get. Yeah, forgiveness is top of the list. Paul always says, I love God's forgiveness. Well, we all do. But there's so much more that we get because of grace. So it's just God saying, you don't deserve this, but I love you so much, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Jacob, that's what grace is. And grace, of course, is the vehicle through which we're saved. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the, the gift of God. That's Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. So, Jacob, that's what grace is, and it is the single most important thing to understand doctrinally about what God has done for us. So the book, Jacob, is Why Grace Changes Everything. Please, uh, if you need it, let us know. But it is available right now on Amazon for twelve dollars, and it's it's not it's simple reading. I mean, you read fast. It's just really, really, really outstanding. Thank you for the question. Let's go to Lee on line one from San Antonio. Lee, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, Pastor Ron. This is uh, Lee Buntello. Hi, Lee. Uh, my my question is. And it's coming out of uh, Jeremiah chapter 3, where um, unfaithful Israel, uh, in verse 6 says, uh, During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said unto me, Have you seen what faithfulness Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought, and I thought, I thought after her and done all that if she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister, Jodea, saw it. I gave faithfulness, faithfulness Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Okay, but my question is, why did the Lord give uh, Israel a certificate of divorce and not Jodea 
who sinned more more workfully than she did. What was the reason for that? Yeah, good question, Lee. And two things. One, it's not Judea, it's Judah. That's that's the easiest way to remember it. And and uh, Israel, um, the, the ten northern tribes, um, now they encompass Samaria and, and that area, but the ten northern tribes, Israel actually sinned worse than Judah did. And God is simply using um, uh, an example. Now, he's given Josiah a good king, and uh, this is when the Lord came to him, and he's simply saying, uh, look what faithless Israel has done. And then what he's saying is, look, after I punished Israel, and he did. You know, the Assyrians came in and wiped out Israel, and, and um, um, that, that's where Samaritans came from, the, from the intermarrying of Assyrians and Jews in the ten northern tribes. And what God said, look, when, when I, I judged Israel, the ten northern tribes— I would think that the the southern tribes in Judah, that they would would pay attention, and they would see the the destruction that came on Israel, and uh, and they would repent, but they didn't repent, and so that's the reason for this call. And now remember, Jeremiah is a prophet at this point. He's a young prophet, but he is prophesying to uh, Judah. In the final days of of their their um, existence, uh, before Babylon comes and takes them away. So here's what he's saying: Look, you had an example. You knew what Israel was guilty of. You saw the punishment that came on Israel. You should have known that if you keep sinning, punishment or judgment is going to come on you as well. And that's exactly what happened. Now, when he's talking in this passage of scripture about adulteries, he's not talking about sex. This is a metaphor for uh, worshiping false gods. Now, oftenly, those uh, worship um, um, experiences, and I, I say worship uh, with tongue in cheek, um, you know, there was all kinds of sexual perversion and sexual sin that, that took place. But but here, the idea of adulteries is, is uh, Judah, Israel cheated on me, and I judged them. They worshiped false gods. You should have seen that and repented, but you didn't. And because you didn't, uh, judgment is now going to come for you. And uh, I think one of the most condemning lines there is verse 8. Uh, I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. Uh, she also went out and did those things. So uh, that was the reason that she was judged. Lee, it's really good to hear from you. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's a question that was called into the studio uh, from an anonymous source. What is the right way to go about seeking spiritual guidance? Should I be looking into commentaries from other pastors, or should I be going directly to God? Um, anonymous, the, the first thing you ought to do is open your Bible. That's where you ought to be. Let the Spirit of God speak to you, and you do that through the Word. Now, clearly, you can get spiritual direction. Uh, you should go to your pastor and, and uh, talk to him about the kind of direction that you need. Um, but you go, you you got to go to the Word. I say this often, and it frustrates people uh, with me, anonymous. But it's so important. If you're not a man or a woman in the Word of God, if you're not serious about the Bible, you're not going to hear from God. 
You know, First John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Brothers, test the spirits, because not every spirit is from God. So the man or the woman it just says, Okay, Lord, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to pray, and I need you to speak to me, and some impression will come to our mind or to our heart, and we'll say, Oh, God told me to do this. If you don't know the word, you wouldn't know whether or not that was God. The enemy can often sound a lot like the Holy Spirit. So what you need to do is know the Bible. And if you are practicing reading systematically and you're serious about it, the Bible is living and active. God will meet you where you are. But here's what you do before you open the Bible. Say, Lord, you know the direction I need here. You know the guidance that I'm looking for. So speak to my heart through your word. And there will be an assurance of that. And again, I want to call your attention that First John chapter 4, verse 1 passage. There's a lot of noisy spirits out there trying to keep you confused. So you go to God directly, but you do that in the word. And then if there is still some confusion or you need some direction, then go to your pastor and set up an appointment and ask him, um, here's the guidance that I'm looking for. Here's what I think the Lord is saying to me in his word. uh, But I just need to know uh, so I don't make a mistake. Be really, really careful. So whatever the spiritual guidance that you're talking about is, the Lord wants you to know. He'll, he'll give you answers. He'll tell you not now, don't do it. Or maybe he'll just tell you, wait. Maybe he's speaking to your heart, preparing you for something in the future. Um, commentaries help a little bit. But remember, God wants to speak to you. And one of the things that I think is, is a source of frustration for us, but ought to be a source of encouragement, is that when we're reading uh, the word and, and we're, we're impatient for an answer, we get a little frustrated. Uh, God is teaching you to hear his voice. You know, when Paula calls me on the phone. Now, okay, this is before cell phones because now her picture pops up. But but before uh, cell phones, Paula would call me on the phone. Uh, she'd have to say, uh, hi, Ron, this is me, Paula. And the reason she didn't is because I know her voice. I mean, if she took a, a breath, pausing, I'd know it was her. Well, God wants you to learn to hear his voice. And the only way you're going to hear his voice is through the word. It's also true that the only way you're going to be able to discern that which is from an enemy who, who wants to confuse you and, and the Lord who wants to, to, to encourage you um, is to know the word so you know which is which. That's how important this matter really is. So thank you for the question. I appreciate you tuning into the program. You know, it is, uh, as a pastor, let me, let me express this. Uh, as a pastor, um, my job is to help people find the will of God in their lives. Um, but when somebody comes to me, I don't speak for God. When I'm teaching the Bible, God speaks through me, but I don't speak for God. And um, there are times when people come to me and say, well, God told me to do this. And I'll ask them, why do you think God told you to do that? That doesn't make uh, any sense. It's not consistent with his word. But we get so impatient and the enemy knows that. So he wants us guessing. And the one thing I try to tell people, Anonymous, is when you're looking for direction from the Lord, don't do anything. Stay where you are, serving the Lord with all of your heart until you know for sure 
the next step he wants you to take. I also mentioned in this past Sunday's Bible study that when God gives direction, he typically only gives us the very next step. He he doesn't give us any details. He doesn't tell us how things are going to work out. He simply says in in Acts chapter 13, uh, he told the prophet, set apart Barnabas and Saul for me for the work that I've called them to. And that's exactly what they did. But Barnabas and Saul had no idea where they were going or what they were going to do. They just took a step of faith and God gave us that direction uh, as they as they were obedient. So that's what you need to do, Anonymous. But it's got to begin in the Word. It's got to begin in the Word. If you don't know that, you're going to be fooled. Thank you very much for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's an interesting question. It's a misguided question, but it's an interesting question. Um, Van says, why are evangelicals so obsessed with human sexuality? Why can't we just live and let live, maybe welcoming gays and trans people in the church and actually talking to them would result in some of them being saved? Now, Vance, I'm going to be really direct with you on this. This is one of the most dishonest questions that we in church get. Why don't we just talk to them? Why don't we just open a dialogue? We're supposed to talk to them, Vance, but what we're supposed to do is tell them that what they're doing is wrong. It's sin. It's going to separate them from the Lord. And, and and they need to repent. And then we can tell them about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But I think the people that are really obsessed with human sexuality are the gay and trans communities. Not only are they obsessed with it personally, but they're trying to shove it down the throat of the rest of our people. Homosexuality is sin. Trans, it's, it's hard to even understand the mess that is a trans lifestyle. It it makes so little sense. We all know better. Why do we talk about it? Because it's the world that we live in. And because this is June, this is Pride Month, we're all supposed to be proud of their sin that's going to send them to an eternity in hell. We can't do that. Let me give you some details. I looked up some statistics. We talk about sex a lot because one in three women is sexually abused. One in three women has had an abortion. That's murder, murdering a child. Um, We talk about sex because the education system is sexualizing children. The Bible says don't awaken desire until it's time. Well, the, the, the school system is is awakening those desires and perverting those normal desires uh, before children are ready. Um, we're sexually uh, focused because gender-affirming care means gender-bending children with or without parental consent can do harmful things to their body, permanently harmful things to their body, without any parental involvement. Children can do those things. In many, many states, that is right now the new battleground. Um, there are websites like OnlyFans uh, that is mainstreamed pornography, especially around college-age girls, turning them into sex workers and making them feel good about it. That's why we focus on human sexuality. Our children have partaken of pornography, hardcore pornography, most of them now, with the cell phones that we parents give them, 
most of them, before they've even had their first kiss. We do it because adultery is destroying marriage and human sexuality between a husband and a wife. Sex has also swallowed our religious systems, meaning have shamed many of those religious systems into saying that what is evil is good and we can't do that. Um, sex has made marriage an unappealing choice for young men. Think about that for a moment. I mean, it's a population decline in, in some countries, and we're not tracking too far behind. Um, the end of the human race is in view if you simply extrapolate the numbers. Uh, young men don't want to be married. Why? They're sitting behind a computer screen filled with pornography. Abortion in some places exceeds birth rates. That is not sustainable. That's why we're obsessed with all of this. And then I want to repeat this because the people in the gay and trans communities are trying to make us not just accept, but to affirm their choices. Vance, this is all madness. Now, here's what I would suggest you do. You need to get saved. You need to get saved because you're going to be responsible for uh, encouraging people to live a lifestyle that God says is going to condemn them to an eternity from hell, uh, an eternity in hell. So what do you do? You receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Vance, God loves you. And this rebellious attitude of yours is a rebellion against God. It's not a rebellion against the church. You find out if Jesus lived, if he died, and if he rose from the dead. If he did, then you're going to stand before the Lord yourself condemned. And that's the last thing any real Christian wants. It's certainly the last thing that Jesus wants. So, Vince, that's why human sexuality matters so much in this world that we live in. We've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back after the fastest two minutes in history. I'm Pastor Ron from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And we would love your phone calls and your input, 340-9585. Here is a question from Christopher. He says, uh, Pastor, in the parable of the prodigal son, the obedient brother is rarely mentioned. It seems like being obedient didn't have any benefit to him. You know, Christopher, it really didn't have any benefit to him because his obedience wasn't for his father. Now, remember, this is a parable. This isn't a real story. But this is just like somebody who says, uh, well, I'm going to obey you, God, because I think you're a mean, mean God and you're going to get mad at me if I don't. Um, but I'm doing this only for me. Um, you know, th- there's no benefit to a life like that. I mean, there's no rewards. There's nothing. And, and that's what Jesus is talking about. Now, the prodigal son is the focus, the, the son and his father. Um, but the, 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 the brother 
who says, well, I've done all these things. You know, I've always been obedient. The father said to him, look, you've always been in my house. You, you, everything that I have belongs to you. So there was a lot of benefits to being a son of his father, a, a son who wasn't rebellious. While the uh, prodigal son was starving uh, after he spent all of his money and he's in the pigsty and he's trying to eat the pig food, um, the, the, the son, the other son in the story um, had full stomach. He lived in a comfortable bed. He didn't. Um, uh, he wasn't exposed to to the the um, the, the out, outdoors. So so there was a lot of obedience, a lot of benefits rather, and and that's what the father tried to present to him. Um, this my, this my son was lost and now he's found. He was dead. Now he's alive. Um, but you've always been with me. You, you haven't missed any meals. You've been protected. You have a roof over your head. And the, the inheritance that, that is your part of it is still yours. So those were the benefits. And, and you know, the question I had in the first half about uh, from, from uh, Grace about, about undeserved favor. Um, you know, whenever somebody focuses, Christopher, like you focused on the other brother, all we're doing is looking at the outward appearance, but this brother's heart was just as far from God as his as the prodigal's heart was. And I might even suggest that the prodigal was a lot more honest than than this brother was, because the prodigal said, "Give me what I want now, and and let me do what I'm going to do." And at least um, at least he was being honest. The the, the older brother was. Um, disobedient at heart and pretending to be a son to his father when in fact in his heart he was rebellious all along. So, um, Christopher, there was a lot of benefits from being uh, obedient, um, but um, he was he really obedient? The answer is no. He was as much a rebel in his heart against his father as was the prodigal. It was just that the prodigal's sin was public. It was open. It was well known by other people. And I think that's one of the things that we really need to focus on in our own lives. We can pretend that everything's going well, but if our hearts are far from God, then we've got some issues. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I'm having to scramble to get my thoughts um, straight. I I didn't expect to get on this quick. (laughs) So give me a second here. Um, I'm calling because I am wondering when you think Satan fell, because after he fell, he um, he's just... You know, on a rampage to destroy man, God's creation of man and woman being together. He did it in the Garden of Eden, Eden, and then he, I guess he convinced all the other, a bunch of other angels to fall with him. So I think that he convinced them to have relationships with women to try to pollute the human race, mm-hmm. which that didn't work because then there was the flood. And now he's doing the transgender thing to, you know, completely try to destroy uh, men and women. Um, I, f- I find it interesting that the whole genre for the for the gay thing is Pride Pride Month because I want to read something right here in Isaiah 
uh, chapter 14, verse 14. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. And that is just like pride in its in its raw form. It, it's sort of like this pride month thing. Nobody's realizing that there's these flashing lights saying, stop, stop, don't go here, don't do this. And they just keep driving along until they fall off the cliff. And uh, that, that's just kind of what I'd been thinking about. And when, before the break, I was deciding whether I wanted to call this in. And then I decided, yeah, I want to call it in. So that's kind of what my question was about is fall, but then also the comment about what Pride Month, you know, is kind of really all about. Yep. So I will get off the phone and listen to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. It's always good to hear from you. Um, a, a couple of things. Pride, of course, is the sin behind all other sins. Pride is the sin behind all other sins. And you asked the question, when do I think Satan fell? Um, Cindy, I have a very strong conviction on this personally, but there's no way to prove it. And the Bible doesn't tell us. Um, I I think Satan fell or he organized his rebellion against God um, on the sixth day of creation. Or maybe maybe the seventh day of creation uh, after thinking about uh, God's creating mankind. Uh, you know, Satan, Lucifer, Ezekiel chapter 28, indicates that, that um, um, Lucifer was God's most beautiful angel. Um, he was an angel of privilege and power. Um, more than perhaps any other angel, save Michael the archangel, it seems like they're they're battling or or, or warring counterparts in in the heavens. Um, but but when he saw mankind, you know, um, he was the most beautiful of all creations, and then he saw God created. He saw that God created uh, mankind, and Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that, that when God created Adam and Eve, they were his masterpiece, poema in the Greek, his workmanship, the, the, the NIV says. And, and it's just like it's God's masterpiece. It was like when God created mankind, he said, ta-da, you know, like that's all that's there. And I think that's when, when the, the, the devil's pride uh, came in now in Isaiah 14. You were starting to read the five I wills of Satan. Um, you know, it's when we don't get what we want, we rebel against God, and so um, that's that's when I think Satan fell and organized rebellion. And of course, one third of the uh, angels fell with him. The good news is that the good angels outnumber the bad angels, the fallen angels, the demons. Um, two to one. However, um, th- that war uh, continues in the spiritual realm to this very, very day. So you're right. Um, 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 to, to to flaunt our sin. Again, I would refer everybody to Isaiah chapter 5. Now, God's not talking about the time that we live in there, but it's certainly a picture of the time that we live in where people are parading their sin, literally. That's the word. They were dragging their sin through the public streets with cords of deceit. In other words, uh, I'm publicly declaring, this is who I am and this is what I do, and I don't care what God wants. But the reality is, um, Cindy, we've always wanted what God told us we couldn't have. 
And when we say that uh, all sexual activity outside of marriage is sin, we rebel against that because we think, no, I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy it now. And then what we end up doing is perverting it. And that's exactly what's happened. And and, uh, homosexual sex is a perversion, Uh, the, the transgender um, identification is a perversion of us being made in the image of God, and it goes right to the core of things. And, you know, we've got to be in a position where, where we remember that we love the people and want to share the gospel with them. But we've got to understand that the sin that they're engaged in is a serious warfare against a God who loves them. Now, they have the free will to make that choice. That's to be sure. But uh, we have to warn them of the consequences of that choice. And Cindy, the one thing that we don't do in our church world is we, we, we so misunderstand love. Well, well, why can't we just let them love one another? Live and let live is what the question was that I had from Vance uh, earlier in the show. Um, we're, 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 to do that is to let them live and die. I want them to live but they're going to die. And we've got to be strong enough and we've got to be convinced enough to say this is wrong, this is an abomination, and this kind of behavior that you're trying to shove down our throats, we're never going to do that. So it's very, very important that we understand what the devil's object is with this and his object is to destroy mankind. So, Cindy, that's the fact My opinion is that the rebellion occurred on day six or after day six um, when he was jealous of of, uh, the beauty God created with Adam and Eve. Let's go to Timothy on line one from San Antonio. Timothy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Brother Ron, thank you. I called in to thank you for your um, candor and your straight talk regarding the uh, evangelical sexuality and the gay agenda yeah we need to take back the rainbow and <laughs> i forgot the name of the the one that the gentleman that uh posed the question but uh it reminds me that you know uh god is love and um we as christians love god and, and all people were created in his image so we love the sinners but we hate the sinner you know, we, we don't hate you. We hate what you do. <laughs> so they, you know, he's right. We we do need to embrace them, but up to the point of them being saved and out, pulled out of the darkness and into the light. Yeah. So, and then I wanted to make a comment, and I'm not trying to correct you, but Alston, you're a third of the way right. Uh, the pride of life is, is a third of it, and then there's the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. <laughs> so pride, and, and the lie is the handle that fits them all. All those yep. tools of Satan. So, I agree, Timothy. The, I will, the, yeah. the one thing, let me, let, me, let me clarify. I said that pride is the sin behind all other sins. Pride is the sin that caused um, Satan to fall. Mm-hmm. And 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 yeah. and once he inflames our pride, then the lust of the of the of the oh, pride yeah. of life, the lust okay. of the eyes, and the and yeah, and the lust of the flesh, those things yeah. then are. It's like pouring 
fuel on a fire at that point. And so, but, but pride is the sin behind all other sins. And God's word makes that very, very clear. One other comment that I would make, um, Timothy, regarding um, um, Satan and, and, and working on pride. Um, when we say what I want is what I want. When, when Eve, I'll, I'll just go back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, you know, God gave Adam and Eve every other tree in the garden. There was only one prohibition. And that was the tree that, that Eve gravitated toward. And, and Adam made a conscious choice to be with Eve instead of being with God. And um, this is the same thing. We say that this kind of sexuality is sin um, people are going for. You know, I think one of the things that people really don't take time to think about, and let me say this before I forget, I've said to our church many, many times, that the man or the woman who is not serious about the study of the Word of God, that man or woman is going to be convinced that human sexuality and the perversions of it are okay and we ought to embrace and love people. And we forget, yes, it's true that God is love, but love is not His overarching attribute. Holiness is. And we've got to remember that God is holy and he can't deny that. You know, when Isaiah saw the throne of God in the vision that the angels weren't saying love, love, love. They were saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And we've got to take a stand. And and the reality is, unless you are ardent in your study of the word of God, the constant bombardment of propaganda that this world is pouring out, we're not going to be able to resist it. And our attitudes are going to be changed. And we're going to find ourselves, many of us, uh, in a position where we are opposing God because, well, it just seems so much more sense just to love them and let them live their lives the way they want to live them. Jesus would never allow somebody to go to hell without putting up a fight for them. So, Timothy, thank you very, very much. And uh, we got to keep spreading the message. You know, uh, I think we've got to watch what we say. Um, uh, the comment you made, taking back the rainbow. We don't need to take back the rainbow. God will do that. What we need to do is be honest enough to to uh, communicate to people who are living a lifestyle. Now, this could be somebody who's a drunk, somebody who's doing drugs, somebody who's habitually mean and angry, or it could be somebody who's living a gay lifestyle or a transgender lifestyle. Uh, we need to be honest enough and loving enough to tell those people that Jesus has a better plan for them and they need to repent of their sin and turn to Jesus Christ. We need to represent that that, that the empty tomb validates that Jesus, um, his statement that, that no one comes to the Father except through him, but we have to come on his terms. He'll take you the way you are, but we got to come to him on his terms. And we're beating around the bush because we don't want to offend. Believe me. The world that we live in now is offending millions and millions and billions of people around the world. But we've been bullied to the point where we won't say anything about it. And we Christians have to stop that. Good to hear from you, Timothy. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Jimmy on line two from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Oh, yes, sir. I have a friend who's, uh, and I grew up with him. He, since junior high, he's been, he was a very nice guy. I, I you know, hung around with him since junior high and high school. And then finally after high school, he, uh, he decided to come out and say that he's a homosexual. But I still love him. But I shared a scripture with him um, uh, in the Bible, 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-14. And I said, look, I have failed too, my friend Steve. I have failed too. And, but this scripture brought conviction to my heart because it says that whoever lives like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the word of God doesn't lie to us. It tells us the truth. He's not telling us to put us down. He's telling us because he loves us. And he, and he responded to me and says, thank you. Thank you, Jim. But, um, you know, and that's all I can say. He wasn't, he wasn't like angry with me or nothing. He just, I was just sharing the truth with him. But the reason the way the world is, is because I, I ran across the scripture, Second Corinthians uh, 4, 1, because of the, you know, the God of this world has blinded the unbelievers yep. or people of this world. And that's why they don't see it. And that's why they rationalize with the Bible and, and, and the word of God. They want to pick and choose what they want to believe in. So I know it's not easy. Yeah. You're, you're, you're right, Jimmy. You know, the, 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 um, the, the person who continues in sin, uh, their hearts get so hard. And sexual sin in particular is pointed out by the Apostle Paul as being um, as sort of the key sin that gives Satan a stronghold or a foothold into our lives. Uh, he said that all other sins a man commits are sins committed outside his body. But when we sin sexually, we sin against our own body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, our hearts grow so hard that we, we can no longer feel or experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it's in those times when we find uh, people being completely given over. Romans chapter 1 says that God gave them over for these kind of sins. He gave them over to the depravity of their own minds. And um, when, when God gives us over, there's no remedy for sin left. And I want to be clear with everybody listening that when when homosexuals or transgender people or drunks or drug addicts or or thieves or uh, uh, people that are, are enslaving, uh, you talked about sex trafficking yesterday, Jimmy, um, none of those people are going to be sentenced to hell for those sins. They're going to be sentenced to hell because they didn't accept the only answer for sin because Jesus is the only man who's ever lived on this earth and, and lived a perfect life, kept the, both the letter and the spirit of the law. And he did that because he was going to die as a sacrifice for us. That's how important it is. And um, that's the sin, the unpardonable sin. If we die in that condition, there is no remedy for our sins, and people are going to go to hell. And when you said that you talked to your friend Steve, um, he didn't get angry at you. Most of them don't. They know your heart. I like to tell people, look, I'm going to go to heaven and, and you're not going to be there. And that's going to break my heart. I don't want to think about heaven without you. If you communicate that as your motive for, for telling them what their lifestyle is, then um, there's really, really nothing can find offense over except that you just don't want me to be happy. Um, but the reality is people are always looking for the one thing that God doesn't want for them. Thank you, Jimmy, for the phone call. Uh, we've got five minutes left. Here is a question from Lisa. Uh, she says, how should I, as a believer, deal with other Christians who are bitter or angry? Lisa, the first thing you should do is pray for them. And I'm certain you're doing that. This is your heart. Um, so you need to pray for them continually. Lift them up before the Lord. 
Um, it, it's just, it, it ought to be impossible. It's a contradiction for somebody to say, I'm a Christian, but I'm bitter. Or I'm a Christian, or I'm, uh, but I'm angry. Um, you know, there's this thing is called righteous anger, but, but that's not what humans deal with. Our anger is decidedly unrighteous. So uh, what you should do, Lisa, uh, especially if there are people in your life that you've been given um, a platform before, is, is when they're demonstrating their anger or their bitterness, you take them to the side and you say, you know, I've been praying for you. It really hurts my heart to see you so bitter, to, to see you so angry. And God doesn't want that for you. He has so much better for you. Please tell me how I can help. Now, Lisa, the truth is, when you do that, you're going to lose some friends. But that's okay. That's okay. You're standing with Jesus. You're standing for Jesus. And in that particular case, um, uh, God will work on them. And if they get right with God, they'll come back. But we've got to be willing to sacrifice relationships if we truly love people. So when you see somebody who's bitter or angry and they claim to be a Christian, it's our obligation to point it out to them. You who have received God's undeserved favor, the grace... Our first question was about today. How can you be angry? How can you be bitter? Aren't you so grateful? I mentioned on the program last week that that, uh, I'm going through the Psalms. And when I got to Psalm 107 and read that, God made that so personal to me. And and just my my heart was overflowing with gratitude. And I'm a grateful guy. I, I don't deserve anything that I have. But, but it was just a reminder of all the things that we have to be grateful for. And in this particular case, uh, we have to be able to confront them in love, not rebuke them, but just, just look, my heart hurts when I hear you speaking like that or, or, or expressing your anger like that. The same thing is true. Somebody using foul language. My heart hurts when you do that. You say that you're a Christian and God has so much more for you. And they're probably not going to like you for it. It's not going to make you popular. But Jesus will be thrilled with you. Here will be the last question of the day. It is anonymous. My husband is not a believer. How do I honor him when my kids start asking why he doesn't believe in Jesus? Now, this anonymous may surprise you a little bit. But... Uh, I I would let your husband deal with your kids himself. Boy, God speaks through the lips of children a lot. Daddy, why don't you go to church with us? Daddy, uh, why don't you want to become a Christian? Daddy, why are you and mommy arguing? I mean, uh, children can ask those questions. I promise you, Anonymous, the Holy Spirit will use that. You're not dishonoring your husband. You don't have to defend him. Um, when your kids ask their father why he doesn't believe in Jesus, uh, we've had kids say, Daddy, are you really going to go to hell? Because they've learned in, in children's church what the penalty for rejecting Jesus is. Um, just your husband is a grown man. He can deal with the kids. Uh, don't quiet the kids. Um, just say your dad is a good man and I love him with all of my heart, but we need to pray for Daddy. And that's what you what 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 they can do, and let them ask the questions. I promise you, they will be a source of conviction that the Holy Spirit will use. Don't make excuses. Don't defend it. 
you see, well, your dad has chosen not to believe. So if you want to know why, why don't you ask him? That's not dishonoring your husband at all. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And I'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you at 4 o'clock. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.